Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the Human Centric Investing Podcast. My name is John Deal, Senior Vice President at Hartford Funds. I'm usually joined by my colleague, Julie, Julie Jenjack, uh, but Julie couldn't be with us for today's episode uh, where I talked to JT Taylor. Uh, JT is our go to guy at Hartford Funds when it comes to politics. And so with the year turning now to 2024 presidential election year, I know in my travels, I've been hearing much more about reading the tea leaves, what may happen and trying to predict uh, <laughs> what the implications will be going forward. Now, it's only January of 2024 when, we're when we recorded this conversation. So a lot still has to come out, but I really appreciated the conversation I have with JT to at least get us pointed in the right direction. With that, let me introduce our guest today on the podcast. JT Taylor serves as a senior policy analyst with Hedgeye Potomac Research. Prior to joining Hedgeye, he ran Polaris Research, the U.S. Public Markets Division of the Holdingham Group based in the United Kingdom. JT has worked extensively in both government and business in Washington, D.C., with experience that spans both the legislative and executive functions, as well as a DC-based consulting firm that he founded with Secretary Jack Kemp in 2002. So please join me as we speak to JT Taylor about reading the tea leaves of the 2024 political climate. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Julie. We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. JT, welcome back to the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Thanks for having me back, John. Well, JT, we're recording this episode in late January 2024, so there are some things we know. Uh, we know that Donald Trump has uh, what appears to be a very significant lead in the race for the Republican primary. Joe Biden, of course, is unopposed. We know that recently Ron DeSantis dropped out of the GOP nomination race, which basically leaves it a two-candidate race uh, going into uh, future primaries here. I guess South Carolina is the next one. Uh, but JT, I, I wanted your thoughts in general, so I just kind of set the stage for where we are as we're recording this podcast, but your thoughts right now on the front runners uh, for the nominations, both the Democrat Party, Republican Party, and what do you think is most likely to happen when we talked, I don't know, last October, maybe things didn't look a whole lot different, but there were more questions, but where do you think we stand today with Biden and Trump? Yeah, I think questions day by day are being answered and we're going to have plenty unanswered uh, in the next 10 months. But for all intents and purposes, John, I believe the general election started right after uh, New Hampshire, the New Hampshire results. Nikki Haley uh, is contemplating. I mean, she's saying that she's still in the race right now, and we'll have to see how that turns out. But for all intents and purposes, the general election has begun. Uh, and just get ready, because this is going to be the longest uh, presidential cycle I think we've ever seen, when we pretty much have both candidates already determined. Again, some uh, there are some factors out there that still have to be determined. We've got a, a Supreme Court uh, a ruling on, on February 8th. They're going to do a, uh, uh, they're going to have a hearing on this topic. 
Uh, we've got some trial dates. I mean, there are just so many uncertainties out there, but it is Biden, it is Trump, both have flaws. And, and I think most of the country knows that. Uh, but uh, Biden is going into this and, you know, he's got a lot of doubts in his party uh, about whether or not he can carry the banner. But it's the dog uh, that, that, that they're, they're, they're taking to the hunt right now. And they're not going to look back unless, I think we've discussed this before, unless there's a health issue or something, something irregular happens between now and the summertime. On the Trump end, uh, same thing. I mean, this is, I think, Republicans are realizing that this is the, the remember the dog that got the bumper, another analogy here. Uh, and they're, they're, they're already starting to have or cast some doubts as to whether or not, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about independence here in a second, on whether or not Trump is going to be able to carry the day with independence right now. He's got generally a lot of support in the party. Um, the, he's really created a juggernaut here in the past five or six months, both on the fundraising side and on the support side. In fact, you mentioned Haley going to South Carolina in uh, just under a month now. Um, he has wrapped up the entire leadership of the state, the, the Republican delegation, the governor, uh, the dog catcher. I mean, he's got everything but one member of Congress uh, on his side. And that's that's pretty formidable. So just looking ahead, you know, don't for don't for a second. You know, people are looking at Nikki Haley right now. Um, she could be a spoiler. She could agitate him for the next couple of weeks here. But at the end of the day, New Hampshire Remember, New Hampshire was very fertile ground for her. A lot of independence up there, and 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 it's been proven that she garnered sixty-five, almost sixty-five percent of those independents. When she goes to South Carolina and some of these other states, that terrain is not going to be as favorable. That's why I keep going back to the fact that Trump will just continue his march until Super Tuesday. Could she? You know, does her remaining in the in in the race extend? His delegate count, you know, or uh, 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 by a week or two instead of March 5th, Super Tuesday, does it become, you know, March 12th uh, or sometime later in March? Possibly, but be not mistaken, uh, it is going to be uh, Trump as the Republican nominee. So, JT, let's assume that uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary happens in either nomination, and it is going to be. Uh, let's say Trump and Biden. Uh, probably the next question on everybody's mind now that many people have said, well, obviously Trump's the nominee, is uh, kind of reminds me of watching an episode of The Bachelor, or The Bachelorette, right? Like, who's going to be his VP, right? Is it going to be one of these, uh, one of the contenders for the nomination that he has? That he hasn't debated, obviously. He he, uh, but he knows them well. Or is it going to be somebody completely different? How? How do you handicap the vice presidential nomination at this point? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think with one exception, I don't think it's going to be any of his primary opponents. Uh, again, there was there was uh, there is a little bad blood between him and DeSantis. Maybe a lot of bad blood, as some people would say. So I don't see that happening. I think the only person in that field that's viable is Tim Scott, uh, Senator Scott from South Carolina. Uh, other than that. The way I handicap this is, you know, where is his weakness going to be going into the general? And I just said it a couple of minutes ago, independence. And we're going to get in a second to this other theory theory I have about disaffected Republicans and disaffected Democrats. Um, but 
with that, uh, he's going to be vulnerable with women. We've got the abortion issue resurfacing. Democrats aren't going to let that rest. So you've got candidates like Christy Nome, um, Governor Nome. Uh, you've got uh, this woman in Arizona who's running for Senate. Uh, I believe her name is Carrie Lake. Uh, you have the number four in line in the Republican House, Elise Stefanik, a congresswoman from, from upstate New York, uh, as a potential candidate as well, or vice presidential candidate. So I believe it's going to be a woman or potentially Tim Scott. Um, yes, could it be someone outside that that, that realm? Yeah, but I do think it, it, at the end of that, if I were a betting man, I'd put money on a woman right now. So let me flip to the other side of the aisle and talk about, you mentioned a possibility, Joe Biden's going to be the candidate unless there's a health issue. If there is a health issue, are we to automatically assume that Kamala Harris would kind of move into that uh, presidential nominee slot? Um, or do you see something else potentially happening? You know, this is starting to take root. I mean, I've, I've heard this from uh, numerous clients over the last couple of weeks about, you know, what happens if something happens to Biden. Well, first off, if it's a minor health scare, I, you know, even a minor health scare, I think, is going to raise alarms even louder in the in the Democratic Party. If it's a major health scare, I think all bets are off. That's just my hunch right now, because just beneath the surface, uh, I think Democrats are really uneasy and, and, and the country is really uneasy generally with his age. Uh, so if it's a major health scare, uh, then I think there might be a move to potentially replace him. But cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, for, for Harris to uh, sort of be in play here, John, I think one, um, he'd have to sort of either step down or be incapacitated. Um, and, and if he's incapacitated, meaning he can't fulfill the office of the president presidency, that's pretty much the only way I see Harris being viable and being the, the, the nominee. Other than that, I think there is disenchantment with her as well within the party um, as the standard bearer. And I think you'll have to look at other candidates in there. She would put her hat in the ring most certainly, um, and it would be a, and, and she would will be a formidable candidate. But I suspect that you'll see other candidates jumping in as well. If and again, that will wreak havoc on the on, on the system. That will wreak havoc on the party, uh, and that would likely have to take place before the conventions. So, JT, you mentioned uh, independence a little while ago, and let's not leave out uh, disaffected uh, people in the Republican Party who aren't big fans of Trump. And we know that even Biden in his own party has disaffected Democrats that aren't big Biden supporters. And notably, you read in the press, younger voters, maybe minority voters. How does that middle, if you will, play out in this election, do you think? Yeah, so that's my new thing, John. You hit the nail on the head here. First off, this is a rematch. We've been through this before. And, uh, and so I don't know that there are many undecideds out there. I think even independents have, uh, uh, for the most part, uh, decided uh, which way they're going to break. I think what this election will come down to, as you indicated, and in, 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 uh, just illustrate um, uh, some of the exit polling out of, out of New Hampshire, 10% of Democrats who cast their ballots uh, said they would absolutely not vote for Biden in a general election. Over 20% of Republicans, to your point, uh, I think it might be actually 24 percent of Republicans said they would not vote for Trump. Republicans said they would not vote for Trump in the general election. So that's the universe we're looking at. 
uh, in this election. Independents, yes, uh, but remember, independents have been through this before. Republicans, Democrats, and independents had the same uh, election uh, just over three years ago. So, you know, again, the fact that uh, uh, that there are a lot of undecided independents, uh, independents will matter, but it's going to be these disaffected uh, uh, voters on, on both sides of the aisle that will be the target. And let me just just take this one step further. If you go back to 2020, John, uh, kind of seven to 10 states at the onset were in play. I think it, it came down to about seven states at the end of the day. Um, right now, I think we're looking at and this. Don't hold me to this number, but we're roughly in this election. We're going to be looking at five, six or seven states once again, probably about half a million people, about 500,000 people are going to be targeted. So this is this is going to come. This is a smaller universe than we've ever seen before from an election standpoint. Uh, these campaigns are very sophisticated now with technology, voter identification, voter sentiment. These individuals are going to be targeted. So they're going to, you know, they're really micro-targeting these folks. And by the way, if you're one of these people, you're going to be bombarded with TV ads, phone calls, emails, texts. That's what this election is going to come down to. Like probably a half a million people in five, six, maybe seven states. And all the rest of us are going to be watching from the sidelines. Well, we should just be thankful that we won't be bombarded with emails, phone calls, right? So on and so forth. But JT, beyond the influence of independence and some of those disaffected voters are maybe thinking about them, we've heard some noise about third party candidates. We, we know kind of the history of third party candidates. We've had them from time to time. Do you think a third party candidate is possible in the coming election? And if so, uh, which side do you think it may hurt the most to have a third party candidate? Yeah, I guess historically, I don't believe I don't think even Ross Perot got over. I don't think anyone has hit double digits, d- digits on on uh, on the third party candidacy. I think this time around could be different. Again, lots of variables out there uh, that could uh, come home to roost. But there are a couple of entities working on um, uh, third party candidacies, especially a, an entity called No Labels. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the big hurdle is qualifying for the ballots. I believe they're on ballots right now or qualifying for ballots in 13 states, including Arizona, Nevada and North Carolina. So not small states, by the way. Uh, so if the, I believe that No Labels is going to announce their unity ticket in the spring. Joe Manchin, and we've heard that name on this podcast before. Uh, Joe Manchin has, has uh, emerged as someone that could be on that ticket if Nikki Haley um, uh, 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 doesn't fall uh, into the Republican camp and doesn't succeed in the Republican camp. There is now talk over the last 24 to 48 hours that she could be the Republican on that ticket. Wow. So a lot to watch in that space, who they field in the springtime. You also have the likes of Jill Stein, who heads up the Green Party. She'll certainly take away votes from, from Joe Biden. Um, and then Kennedy, uh, depending on, on whatever uh, he latches on to, there was a thought that he'd take away from Biden. That Now there's a thought that he'd take away from Trump. Uh, so you see Trump starting to attack him. So um, it, it really, really um, going to be a toss up who uh, this third party, if no labels does emerge uh, as a viable option, who they're going to impact more. 
So that's, that's definitely a space worth watching this springtime when they announce it. So, you know, lob some questions at me when there starts to be more noise on this, because I'll be uh, right on top of it. Sounds like a wait and see. Wait and see. You know, JT, when we think about these election years, I know investors, clients of financial professionals oftentimes become distracted by looking solely at the presidential election because that's what media is covering. That's a, you know, this person versus this person, all that kind of stuff. But we can't forget the other houses of Congress because they do actually play a role. Uh, We saw surprising results in the midterms and that many people expected a red wave never came. We talked about how closely divided Congress is currently the House being Republican, the Senate being Democrat. Uh, JT, where where do the races stand for Congress? Yeah. And, and just a sidebar here. Not only the, not only are the margins close in, in both houses on the House side, it's going to get even closer. So McCarthy resigned at the end of the year. We had another Republican resign and, and, and took a, a university job in Ohio. The Republican majority is now down to two. Wow. And there's going to be a special election, maybe three, uh, but there's going to be a special election for that seat in uh, New York three, which was uh, held by the disgraced uh, member of Congress, Santos. And um, that was a Democrat district before uh, Santos won it. So that's going to be a toss up. So this this Republican majority in the Senate could be down to two or one at the end of the day. The other seats will remain Republican, but that's not going to be until the springtime when these special elections are held. And I don't know if you knew this, but the the Democrats don't have it any easier in the Senate with a one seat majority. Kamala Harris broke more tiebreakers in the history of the Senate last year than any other in, in, in over almost 200 years. I think wow. there's somewhere between 33 or 34 tiebreakers. Uh, so we're, 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 we're in for that. It looks as if um, after these elections, again, if everything stays the same and lots of variables will change uh, throughout 2024. But right now, uh, this election in the House is going to come down to roughly 23, 24, 25 seats. They're in purple districts toss-up seats. That's what this Congress is down to. I and mean, it's kind of pretty pretty sad that all the rest are in red or blue or deep red or deep blue states right now. It comes down to these this small universe of purple states. The Democrats have an advantage here because we have five House Democrats running in Trump seats right now, the districts that Trump won, 18 Republicans in Biden held uh, districts. So that is that math is not going to help uh, the Republicans next time around. That's a lot of ground uh, for the Republicans uh, to defend. Again, depends on what this climate is like. Uh, so my prediction is that uh, that the, the House will flip from Republican to Democrat. And then the Senate uh, on the other side of the dome here has a, a different problem. Uh, and the Democrats ha- are the ones that are behind the eight ball. The Democrat, just one third of the Senate, John, as you know, is up every year, 33, 33. And this is a year where there's 34. Uh, So we have 34 senators up this year. Uh, You've got 23 uh, Democrats up, right? And only 11 Republicans up. And in those 23 Democrat races, you've got them in some some red states like West Virginia. That's 99% going to go. That's Manchin's seat. 
that's going to go from blue to red, almost assured. Uh, the other states are Wyoming um, and um, in Montana and uh, Ohio. So those states, those those races are going to be really, really tough for Democrats to hold. So I think the Senate is going to flip back uh, to um, uh, to Republican hands. At some point down the line, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring up maps and we'll show you uh, where some of these other races are. But but mark my words, they're in some ruby red and and uh, some very royal blue states. Uh, so everything else, I think, is going to stay static. It's going to come down once again to five or six Senate seats at the end of the day. And, and again, better, those, even, yeah, better, those larger, even better, it sounds like whatever happens is going to be narrow again, right? Narrow on both sides and likely divided government again. Again, unless there's a wave election. And again, it, 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 it's anybody's guess what happens in 10 months. There's a lot of ground between now and November 8th. Uh, we've still, you know, we're, we're still looking at the economy. We still are involved in two currently two foreign conflicts. Uh, we still have age issues. Uh, there are a lot of things out there undetermined uh, that that uh, um, uh, could impact this election. So uh, sounds like a recipe for continued dysfunction, if you ask me. But you know, I'll continued just... dysfunction. <laughs> so I have to ask this question too. So when the Democrats lost the House in the midterms, it seemed like that was the impetus for a transition of, of House leadership. It, Nancy Pelosi stepped down and uh, we got a new uh, House majority leader. Oh, you said the Senate is likely to flip just given uh, kind of how everything lays out. If the Republicans retake the Senate, uh, would Mitch McConnell... Uh, try to stay on as leader? Would that give him the momentum to stay on? Or do you expect that he'll step step down regardless of the election outcome? Yeah, I think McConnell would like nothing better than to finish his majority leader, finish his career off. He is in his early 80s right now. And there was a lot of talk about his health uh, last year. That has sort of been toned down a little bit. And he's, his, his health is considerably better. But I think the forces at work uh, and the powers that be uh, come November uh, might be too strong for him to do it. So you, he, there's a chance he'd likely either step down, step aside uh, and pass the baton to one of what we call here the three Johns. You've got uh, John Barrasso uh, from Wyoming, who I think would probably be the front runner because he's a, a stalwart uh, Trump supporter. Uh, you've got John Corden, Cornyn of Texas. Uh, that's uh, also in the running. And right now, John Thune of South Dakota, uh, who would also be uh, in the mix. They're all in the leadership now. They're all uh, looking uh, to succeed. They make no bones about succeeding McConnell. I do predict that um, if the Republicans take the Senate, it would be one of those three that would become the majority leader, not McConnell. So, JT, I'm going to leave the personalities uh, aside for a minute because personalities are what we all get worked up about, you know, who's going to win, who's going to do this and that. But let's talk about what is sometimes viewed as more mundane, but actually probably impacts us more than anything. And that's policy. We know that uh, we know that Congress has been struggling to come up with some kind of a budget prior to April 1st, when I guess automatic budget cuts uh, set in. But uh, what let's start just with this year, 2024. Uh, what can anything be accomplished in 2024, given 
the run-up to the November elections. Can we expect anything this year? I don't believe so. And I think, you know, if you go back to where we started this program on, this, you know, the general election starting, you already see Trump meddling in the Republican agenda on the Hill. For example, uh, Republicans and Democrats in the Senate were pretty close to a border deal. I, I you know, the fact that we're still talking about the border uh, 10 years later, and, and this administration had three years to work on it, the prior administration had four, and we're still in the same place, uh, is, is shocking to me. But there is talk that, that, that Trump is, is, for all intents and purposes, threatening senators saying, do not pass this bill. I don't want to give Biden a win. So I think that that is going to be, with the presidential starting this early, and I think in one of my last, one of the last pieces, I said that, you know, by the time the spring rolls around early summer, you're done legislating in an election year. Um, I think it's going to be much earlier now. And I think this is the first sign that the only things we're going to struggle to get done um, are uh, uh, the, the spending bills, the appropriations bills. And we now have a target of early March uh, for those bills. You have a couple of reauthorizations, John, the, the Federal uh, Aviation Administration, the FAA needs to be reauthorized. We still haven't really done the farm bill. I mean, there's a massive, massive billion dollar bill uh, that needs to be addressed. That was just extended. Uh, it hasn't been updated since 2017 or 2018. They need to work on that. But I don't see a consensus on that as well. So I just think it's going to come down to um, getting these spending bills over the finishing line. Remember, this this Congress, and I think there was a chart that I sent out uh, in one of the previous misses, missives I did. This is the, the, the a do-nothing Congress. Not, it's not just a Republican thing. or It's, it's a bipartisan do-nothing Congress. Uh, it, it, All-time low in getting legislation passed and getting legislation through. And I believe that 2024 is only going to add to that horrible stat uh, some might, some out there might say, well, they're not passing legislation. That's a good thing. It means more legislation, more regulation, what have you. But there are certain things that need to get passed. We do need to address a lot of issues in this country, the debt and the deficit uh, first and foremost. But um, uh, no, there's not going to be a consensus. And I predict that it's going to be even harder uh, next time around. Uh, the one thing I'll, I'll say that they, they started coming together on defense Late last year, we've been talking a little bit more about uh, defense spending, and it, it does seem to be one area of consensus right now, as well as China. Uh, so you might look for um, uh, China, some sort of China tariffs, uh, a bill to come out this year, um, and or China has what we call a, a permanent trade status, preferred trade status with the U.S. I think as a political message. You'll see both Republicans and Democrats trying to revoke that status this year, favored status, trade status. Uh, other than that, John, crickets and a lot of fighting. So uh, taking that thought one step further, JT, those of us who aren't in the political world don't think too much about timing past the next election, right? So we've been focused on who's going to run, who's going to win, what's going to happen in Congress. But I know you have been looking even past the election into 2025 uh, because there's some important issues. They're going to have to be decided and things that may specifically impact the financial services industry. Um, can you just give us a top level, JT, on 
on why this coming election will be influential in terms of policy decisions beginning in 2025. Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned one of them, that's the debt and the deficit. Uh, $34 trillion in debt growing at approximately $2 trillion a year, that's unsustainable. Uh, so at some point, Congress and the White House, whoever holds uh, uh, power in, in those three bodies, uh, is going to have to address uh, those topics. And there, uh, there is talk right now of a bipartisan commission uh, to address the debt and the deficit. Let's keep our fingers crossed that they'll look at it. But that is saddling every American uh, uh, with uh, unnecessary, uh, again, debt burdens that we don't need. Uh, the 2017 tax cuts expire uh, in, in 2025. So the next Congress, the next president, We'll have to deal with a major tax cut bill, whether or not to renew that um, is going to be front and center. And I think you're seeing a little of that play out right now in um, a, a smaller tax bill that's trying to move through Congress. Um, there's bipartisan consensus on this tax bill. It renews the child care tax credit in exchange for some business tax breaks, R&D, interest deductibility, et cetera. And there's, it came out of one of the committees, 40 to 3, John, the Ways and Means Committee on the House side. That's a big, big victory, bipartisan victory for that bill. But it's being shot at uh, by the progressives on the left and the far right conservatives on the right. And uh, I, if you asked me a week ago, I thought it would probably have a just slightly better than 50 percent chance of getting through. Now it's got a big target on its back. So this is a micro that's a that topic right there. What we're dealing with present day is a microcosm of a much larger uh, tax uh, debate we're gonna have in 2025. And then lastly, uh, the debt ceiling. Uh, the debt ceiling expires in January 25. All that noise in the spring of last year is gonna come back again in January of, of next year, right after the president, new president is either reelected uh, or um, well, both of them could be reelected for that matter. But uh, in the new Congress, uh, we'll have to deal with the debt ceiling right out of the gate in 2025. So those are the three issues uh, top of mind. You know, re Republican wins uh, the White House. I think you'll likely see you, know, you see these every four years, uh, probably more uh, of a bent toward oil and gas and those types of stocks, energy uh, in the energy realm the green energy stocks if the Democrats win. I mean, you'll start to see some of those issues emerge. But at the end of the day, everything, if, if everything, if everything flips and these margins are as close as they are now and you still have some of the same players, it's going to be tough in 25 and 26 to get legislation through. So um, I think we're in for a bit of a... Um, legislative political stagnation here, if you will, for the next two or three years. And then, of course, we'll have, depending on the outcome of the executive branch, agency heads, decision on a Fed chairman, all that kind of stuff that we'll get to talk to you about at some point in the future. But let's not let's not put the cart ahead of the horse. Let's uh, play it out a few more months and, and see what more information that we have. But JT, before we let you go, as you know, on the Human Centric Investing Podcast, uh, we like to ask our guests what we call lightning round questions to help our audience get to know, aside from the world of Washington, uh, let's learn a little bit more about JT Taylor. And so if you're up for it, 
uh, I'd like to fire some questions at you. Top of the top of your head responses. I may ask for some reasoning, but hey, are, are you game? Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could travel anywhere in the world for free, where would you go? Right now, I would go to. We're gonna have to start this over. I'd... <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you time. You get it. <laughs> like there's six places i got spain in my head i've got uh, uh egypt in my head um hey i'll take multiple choice if that works for you uh 10 more seconds hold on guys because everybody out there that's watching is having fun with this one right now <laughs> i got i have all your names i know where you guys live um all right um when you were a kid, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? And don't say political pundit unless you really meant it. I uh, wanted to be a, a maxillofacial surgeon. Really? Yeah, I wanted to uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, the, the first step was uh, being a dentist. And then you would uh, uh, there would be more schooling to be a, a, a maxillofacial surgeon and uh, recreate faces. Wow. So the thought was, you know, to, to take accident victims and, um, uh, uh, and, 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 and babies born without faces or, or deformities and, and fix them uh, and then later do plastic surgery in my senior year, shall we say. But uh, chemistry got in the way of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Organic chemistry, to be exact. Understandable. Um, are you a morning person or a night owl? Both. I mean, I, I, morning for sure. I'm up early, but you know, I, I, I tend to be a night owl, uh, depending on uh, the, t the time of the week. But morning, definitely the morning. What is a food that you could eat for a week straight? Sushi. <laughs> That's a good choice. I'm with you on that one as well. Speaking of that, what's for dinner tonight? Any idea? Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. That's awesome. Um, what was the last TV show that you watched or binged? Oh we'll go my gosh. God, I wasn't expecting this one. The bear. I've been watching the bear on uh, Hulu since, uh, the holidays. And I just finished season two. It's exceptional. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's on my list. How about, uh, what is your favorite month of the year? Wow. Favorite month of the year is probably September. Just the weather and, and, uh, Perfect down here in D.C. and uh, perfect golf weather as well. If you had the choice to travel to the past or to the future, which would you pick? The past. Why so? I uh, just love. Uh, just love. I love love history. So I would uh, love to go back to the uh, Revolutionary War time. Uh, the, the 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 founding of the colonies um i would just be fascinating to live without technology uh, as we know it today one last question one that really defines a person what's the first concert you ever attended first concert i ever attended was u2 if i'm not mistaken wow that's pretty cool I'm still going to the u2 concert so there you go that's uh that, that is, other than the Rolling Stones, man, that, those guys have some longevity. Oh, absolutely. Well, JT, uh, can't thank you enough for coming on to help all our listeners.
kind of understand a little bit and begin to make sense because I think uh, financial professionals are soon, if not already, going to be get getting a torrent of questions about their thoughts about what's going on. And we're very grateful that you're able to at least give us some things to think about as we head into the rest of this year. Awesome. John, always good to be with you and, and the family there. So love this. Can't wait for the next one. Sounds good. We're going to talk to you just prior to the election to kind of see what else sorts itself out. So on behalf of Hartford Funds, JT, thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode of the Human Centric Investing Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of the guest who is not affiliated with Hartford Funds.